Welcome to Life of Angst. Known exaggerations and gross misconceptions. Visit our website at lifeofangst.com. This episode is sponsored by the Agnes Hill Chapter, National Society, Daughters of the American Revolution, located in Phillipsburg, Missouri. We are passionate about the DAR missions of historic preservation, education, and patriotism. The DAR is more than a lineage society. It's a women's volunteer service organization. To learn more, visit agneshill.mssdar.org. Welcome to the show. My name is Sarah, and today we are talking about the Haha Tonka Castle. Just 30 miles north of Lebanon, near the town of Camdenton in Camden County, visitors can find the ruins of an early 20th century castle. Haha Tonka State Park is a recreation area encompassing more than 3,700 acres that includes beautiful natural sites, hiking trails, geological wonders, and the ruins of a once majestic home. The park is a geologic wonderland, featuring sinkholes, caves, a huge natural bridge, sheer bluffs, and Missouri's 12th largest spring. The ruins of a turn-of-the-century stone castle overlook these wonders and offer impressive views of the Lake of the Ozarks and Haha Tonka Spring. Much has been written about the original history of Haha Tonka and the castle. A section about the park from the Missouri Parks website says, quote, Today's visitors are not the first to be attracted to the remarkable beauty and wonders found in the area. The spring water, wooded hills, and abundant wildlife attracted both American Indians and settlers. The journals of many settlers and explorers in the early 1800s mentioned the remarkable features of the area. The first permanent mill was established in 1830 by a man named Garland, who dammed the lower end of the spring and constructed a grist mill. Remnants of a mill can still be seen on the trail to the spring. Garland was linked with a band of counterfeiters who used several caves in the area. In 1903, Robert M. Snyder, a wealthy Kansas City businessman, visited the area and was so impressed that he began purchasing land to build his private retreat. He envisioned a European-style castle with 60 rooms and a center atrium rising three and a half stories to a skylight. He also planned a water tower, greenhouses, and stables. The materials were extracted from the area, with sandstone quarried nearby and transported by a mule-drawn wagon and miniature railroad. Construction began in 1905, but was halted a year later with the death of Snyder in one of the state's first automobile accidents. Snyder's sons finished the structure in 1922, although not quite as elaborately as originally planned. The castle originally overlooked a small spring-fed lake. In the 1920s, Snyder's fought to stop the construction of Bagnell Dam, but failed. The resulting Lake of the Ozarks divided the estate and consumed the small lake. Eventually, the property was leased for use as a hotel. In 1942, sparks from a chimney ignited the roof and the fire gutted the castle. The carriage house burned the same day, and in 1976, the water tower was burned by vandals. Today, only the ruins remain. Efforts to preserve the area as a state park began in the early 1900s when Missouri Governor Herbert S. Hadley visited the area. After several failed attempts, Haha ha Tonka State Park was created in 1978. Since that time, the park has fascinated visitors with its geologic wonders, mysterious castle ruins, and recreational opportunities for a day of relaxation and fun. End quote. In the 1980s, the Missouri Department of Natural Resources undertook to preserve the castle. My father, a local pastor and mason, participated in the project in 1989. I sat down with him to learn more about the local culture around the castle and the preservation efforts at Haha ha Tonka in the late 1980s. The castle burned before my father was born, 
but I asked him if he'd heard any stories about the castle from his youth. Well, my name's John Angst, and I've been a, a brick mason around Lebanon for about 50 years. My my uncle, Oliver, had been down there when it was a speakeasy. That was during Prohibition. And uh, they had uh, illegal booze down there and gambling. And he came back uh told family members, it was long before I was born, uh, he told them how rich it was and about the tapestries on the walls. And he thought he was really in high cotton when he was, when he was down there, whenever it did happen, I remember, uh, it burned and it had a fire suppression system of some kind, but it didn't work. The pumps or whatever didn't get the water up to the roof like it needed to. And, and of course it was far too far away for anybody to do anything. Next, I asked him if he had any memories of the castle, the way it was before it was preserved. Well, they had, over the years, they had been uh, gradually protecting it more and more. When I was a teenager, it was completely uh, untended, unsupervised. There was a fence around it uh, at the highway, just a regular barbed wire fence and a couple of signs saying no trespassing. But uh, the teenagers always would. Uh, climb over the fence and and go down to uh, the spring or go up to the castle ruins and have a party. Uh, It was very common back then to uh, have a a few cans of beer and and shoot off some fireworks from the top of that hill. So I went down there a time or two. The tower had, uh, I remember when it had stairs that went all the way to the top of it, Uh, but it burned sometime around Probably in the in the mid '60s, there was a fire there that burned the the steps, the wooden part of the steps, out of the out of the tower. The tower was 70 foot tall, and uh, had uh, windows on about four or five levels, so people would climb up there and stand in the windows and have their pictures taken, you know. And it was really a beautiful place, but in ruin, and of course with trash all around it, weeds all grown up, and briars and that sort of thing, but but it was still an interesting sort of thing. A little dangerous for, for kids to be hanging around, but, but you know how kids are. Yeah. Now, the, the tower sat a long way away from the, the mansion, and the tower uh, didn't burn until probably 1970 or something like that. So when it burned, then all of the top and the wooden part of it and the wood that was on the stair steps and all that had all all burned out. After we talked about his memories of Haha Tonka before the preservation efforts began, I asked him what he remembered about his time helping to preserve Haha Tonka Castle. And uh, when the Haha Tonka restoration, or as they called it, uh, preservation in a state of ruin, was uh, contracted out by the Missouri uh, department, whatever it was, the parks department, I suppose. Uh, The contractor that won the bid was an old friend of mine named Bob uh, Thornton, who was also a preacher friend. Both of us were preachers and masons, and uh, he had been in the business 15 years or so longer than I had. He was the only stone mason that that really bid the job. 
meaning that he had been trained to shape stones by hand when he was young. He and his brother uh, Frank Thornton had uh, started their career in the uh, 1950s, late 40s, early 50s, uh, working for older stonemasons who carved their own stones by hand. So they knew how to do the same sort of stone shaping that was done on the Hahatonka building originally. Uh, on the main highway, you'll come to a spot where there's a, a stone building, and it's a story and a half tall or something, and uh, it's just a it's just an old square stone building. But it was the post office. That's where the community of Hahatonka was, and. Uh, they had built that back in the 30s, I believe it was, something like that. His father and and his brother and him had, had worked on that. So uh, they had some experience with the actual type of construction that the, the castle, it, the stone building there was built in imitation of the castle. After learning that his friend had received the contract to do the preservation work at Hahatanka, my father asked if he could participate and help with the crew. Of course, his friend allowed him to help out, saying that he could always use another hand. And so my dad was really excited to be able to see some of the old techniques being used in the preservation of this building. I had never seen anybody work on a, uh, a pitching table before, but uh, they pitch stones. Uh, it's, it's called that because there's a slope to them or a pitch. And so just like you'd say the roof has a certain pitch to it, that was an old, an archaic term now for the slope. So stones are square when they, when they uh, quarry them. And those were all uh, quarried by hand from a, a, a quarry <clears throat> on site by stonemasons from Scotland. And they, uh, they made square stones. So then where the, uh, the walls come out in a slow slope on the corners, and that's how it's protected. Uh, uh, a baluster, I think they call it. But anyway, uh, each one of those stones has to be pitched or sloped on the outside to match the one below. And so it makes a gentle slope. And you have to look at the, the uh, shape of the wall that you're going to and, and start off with a stone and a chisel and a hammer. And every time you take a piece off, uh, it has to be within the slope that you're after. If you, if you make a mistake in that pitch, you've got to start all over again. And uh, it takes quite a lot of practice and an unbelievable amount of strength in your arms and and uh, hands and and uh, patience, and so uh, they build a special table to work on, which is lower than a uh, higher than a coffee table, but lower than a, a countertop, somewhere in around two feet. Depends on the man, the, the size of the man, but he has to stand up at it and work down onto a, a stone that's about a foot tall. Uh, with a chisel that's uh, about uh, eight or ten inches long in his hand. So you have to just, it has to be built to the man, more or less. So a pitching table is made out of wood, but it's very sturdy. 
and that's the only thing that's really fit for is is for hitting hitting stones with a chisel and uh it's it's built specially for that so uh, i've never even heard of that before uh so it was a very interesting uh experience for me because i got to see some of the old type of work that was done for hundreds of years it was the same way ever since the time of christ it was the same way and uh it's it's almost never seen today that job was interesting in uh another way in that it was so uh i don't want to say dangerous but it was uh more dangerous than most things that i work on just because of the fact that it was so far from anywhere and uh it was so high and the wind was so strong in a lot, at a lot of times so uh we did have one guy that was injured down there it wasn't when i was on the job but uh uh it was a very scary time. I remember for the workers, they all talked about it the whole time the job was going on. We were much more careful after that incident happened. Uh, somebody's uh, uh, head was hit with a, a, a crane failed uh, uh, that was lifting up materials. And the load came down and hit him on the head. We had a hard hat on which it broke and they had to rush him to the hospital. It was, mm. it was a long way to the hospital from yeah. there. It's, it's back in the woods and, you know, yeah. waves from anywhere, but, uh, he lived, but, uh, it was a, it was a horrible injury. Mm. So most jobs I work on aren't that dangerous, no. but that was <laughs> 35 foot, uh, uh, scaffold height. And then uh, with the trees and the debris and the, uh, just the terrain around there, then there's nothing flat anywhere around there. So a crane had quite a job of, uh, you know, getting stuff up there without, uh, without hitting something. And with the wind blowing, a load would turn and had to have people holding the, the sides of it with with ropes you know to try to keep it straight so that you could get it up there and, and set it on the scaffold you know and the uh the walls there were uh put back together it's called preservation in a state of ruin because the walls were crumbling and falling apart in fact from the time that the contractor had taken on the job uh when they all looked at the job the contractors that were bidding it the uh the walls had deteriorated to the point where they had to be real, built back to the point that they were at when the bid was made so they all took pictures of the of the ruins when the bid was made and it was about 6 months to a year after that that the work actually started so then we had to look at the pictures and see well this wall was about 4 feet higher here and you can see how it sort of tailed off at this end so we put the rocks back up there and let them hang off at a point where it looked like they were about to fall, but then seal them in so that it looks as though it's, it's falling apart, but it will never fall. That thing is, it's really put back together, uh, unbelievably strongly. All of the, the fireplaces throughout the structure, uh, were built into the exterior walls. And so there was a wall inside and a wall outside and the fire place chimneys went up or the flues went up inside those walls so when it was rebuilt or or uh, preserved 
we took those walls and uh, built the outside walls with stone, the rubble that was laying around down on the ground, put those back as nearly as, as they were to start with as we could, and then in between there poured concrete with uh, a three-quarter inch to one inch rebar drilled into the bedrock 10 feet and then driven in uh, on one foot centers so that in a 12 foot wide by four foot deep uh, cavity, there were 30 or 40 one inch rebar uh, run all the way from below bedrock up into the sky, some of it three stories tall. And that was all filled with concrete. In order to pre-stress it, they hooked a crane to the top of that with a special plate that fastened all those straight together in a proper configuration. They were all screwed to one another at each each 20-foot interval and then or 10-foot interval. And then the plate at the top was fastened to the crane, which kept 100,000 pounds of pressure on it while the concrete was setting up. So we laughed about how how strong that thing was going to be that it will never fall that uh, judgment day will have come and gone and that those towers at least will still be standing and so uh it looks like it's going to all fall down but it's incredibly strong it was really fun to talk to my dad about his experiences working at haha tonka i remember going out to see him while he worked out there and feeling kind of important and special that i knew someone on the crew I was only nine years old, but I remember bringing him lunch up there one day and walking the trails. Living here in Laclede County, I've been to Ha Ha Tonka many times in my life, and I feel a special connection to it, particularly because my dad helped work on the building. But I know many people in Laclede County and the surrounding areas feel a special connection to this really interesting piece of our state's history. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions, corrections, or content suggestions, Fill out the contact form at lifeofangst.com.